I am amazed at the significant sure hand of God and how that the Lord uses small particulars to accomplish broad measures. <laughs> he took a little boy's lunch and multiplied it and fed, the Bible says, 5,000 men. This did not include the number of women or children. We can safely assume that that number could be upwards 15 or 20,000 people fed with fish and bread. And everyone ate. And I wonder about that. Because I have left the North Campus and this room a thousand times now. Amazed that the word fed everybody. What if there were people in the crowd that day that said, I just don't eat seafood. You know, bread. I'm staying away from bread. I wish I was, had been staying away from bread for the last three weeks. They say that a camera adds 15 pounds onto you. So if you'll just turn off the camera, I've lost weight immediately. <clears throat> the Lord takes a particular thing and he multiplies it for the good of a broad reach. And one word from God seemingly fits just maybe one category. But in the hands of the Lord, it feeds everybody in the house. Amen. And that is the blessing and wonder of the preached word of the Lord. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 15 in your hearing. And when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead... They said, Joseph will preadventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say, or say this to Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespasses of thy brethren and their sins. For they did unto the evil, and now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of the God of thy father. Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. It is the conclusion of what was implanted Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring to pass, oh my, as it is this day, to save much people alive. <laughs> Now therefore fear not, I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. And I preach today, God meant it. God meant it. Amen. 
And I pray right now, Lord, that you would take the in particular and feed the body in whatever place they are in Jesus name add a blessing to the word anoint the spoken word and anoint us to receive it and everybody clap your hands and say in Jesus name and call out on God because we need you Lord and I thank you and You may be seated, and for those watching, I'm so grateful, and I hope that you will stay with me now as we venture toward the intent of the Lord. We are at the end of the life and historical account of Jacob. He will be referred to on multiple occasions as his God-given name, Israel. If you read those last moments, you'll See his name, Israel. The scripture I read to you carries the reality of life. Life has underlying issues. We have a tough time determining the position and disposition of people by face value. There are underlying issues, old family offenses that often resurface in times of loss. The scripture text speaks to the nature of deep-rooted bitterness. It's often cloaked in the condition of family matters. The brothers of Joseph are not Fearful without cause, they have cause, they understand the temporary covering of their father. But now dad is gone, and to them there is nothing holding Joseph back from what they called requite. It means revenge or to avenge. In this context, it's more akin to revenge. To take retribution. They said... Our father is gone. It may be that Joseph hates us and he will enact some evil against us. In their own commentary, they indict themselves. They point out their own brutish actions, though it was decades prior. Old wounds and those who have wounded others have a tough time forgetting both the strike and the blunt. When people do what they should not do, their own infraction lays heavy longer than we might think. Even David said, as he spoke of his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, he said, my sin is ever before me. Your own infraction is hard to forget. And those who have been wounded often harbor their offenses. They protect them as if they had worth. Joseph's brothers thought this to be the case. Dad is gone and Joseph will pre-adventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did to him. The umbrella of safety for those now grown men had been buried and they will offer a meager commentary of reminder that Jacob commanded you, Joseph, to forgive us. Dad said, forgive your brothers. But of course, there is no reference that Jacob ever gave such a command in the Bible. They probably just made it up. 
And now we enter the reply. It's a beautiful reply. It's one of hope, restoration, and indeed acquittal. Joseph said, I'm not God. You wanted to do evil, but God meant it for good. Joseph said, I went through this. God did it to bring to pass the saving of many people. And if I have ever heard a kingdom statement, that is the kingdom statement. That the life we live can be used of God for the sake of the kingdom. It was Joseph's recognition that the will of God was executed in his life for the benefit of not only his brothers, but many people, much people. God gave Joseph a dream and God gave Joseph authority and the dreams came first and the position came last. And as it is in almost all cases, if the dream or the vision or the promise, if it's immediately followed by fulfillment, then we are all joyful and content and life is good. The problem is that God often gives the vision or the dream or the promise of which he never fails, but he rarely tells us or reveals to us what is in between the promise and the fulfillment. I'm not too interested in the self-preservation of Joseph's brothers. I know what they were up to. It's a natural thing. It's the human condition to protect yourself. That made-up commentary of their father's command to forgive them. It's not of great importance to me. What leaps from the pages is Joseph's response. You sought to do me evil, but God meant it for good. You were full of deceit and anger, but God had a plan all along. You see, what we don't see is the thing that attends unto faith. Faith is only enacted when we are walking without natural sight, but keeping our focus on the prize. We are blind in the natural, but obedient to the word. That is when you are living by faith. God's work and God's plan are without rebuttal and without question. You may be living in what the Bible calls a glass darkly, which is nothing more than a fog. It's the cloudy array of the unknown with a scattering of landmarks. But it is the Lord that is leading and that is the core and that was the core of Joseph's response. You sought to do me evil, but God meant it for good. And yet herein lies the dilemma that God would not only allow... (laughs) Are you ready? But orchestrate the actions of those tainted brothers for the benefit of his divine plan. So when we read that God meant it for good, I come to this caution. Yes, I do rejoice and it brings me confidence. But that's only because we're reading the story of a completed life. We're not sitting in the middle of his process. So please don't get too comfortable in the pleasantries of Joseph's reply that God meant it for good. I myself have rested too long on that reply without seeing the greater portion of what Joseph was saying. I'm I'm studying. I'm not as well versed in English structure as as Tammy has been through these many years of homeschooling. But but I did a little research on the word it. (laughs) There's a lot to be said about it. But in this particular case, we could consider the word it as an uh, anticipatory object of the sentence. 
All of you English majors probably already know this. It is referring to something that Joseph could have explained, but instead he just left the matter to it. Stay with me. God meant it. I'm rejoicing for the reply. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. God meant it. Joseph did not have to repeat what it meant. They knew what it meant. And I know we can clap and I clap at the end of the result. We take courage because we get to read Joseph's rise to the throne, his royal appointment, and most of all, that critical signet ring that was on his hand. But Joseph had to go through it before he came to the end. He had to keep the dream alive while going through it. He was loved by his father. He was a young 17-year-old boy full of courage and perhaps a little overconfident. He was living in the warm embrace of his own father's home. Fear never entered his mind. Doubt never flooded his thought. He never considered the possibility of abandonment or neglect or betrayal. He carried the assurance of dreams that came from God. And though they cast his family into an obvious submissive role before him, Joseph's dreams were nothing less than spiritual endowments from the God of heaven and earth. Jacob, his father, loved him fiercely. He wore the colors of favoritism. Howbeit he wore them poorly, which in turn caused Reuben and the rest of them to hate him for it. They probably hated him even more because their father loved Rachel more than he loved their own mother. It was a sordid tale with all the pitfalls, pitfalls of a dysfunctional family. And Joseph will turn from his uncertain and leery brothers in that moment when his father died and said and say, God meant it. And that is what we often overlook. What does God mean? Joseph was thrown into a pit like an animal and God meant it. Joseph was stripped of his colors and God meant it. Favor was found dipped in blood and God meant it. They recklessly sold him off to a band of merchants without regard like a slave with no value and God meant it. Joseph was abused, chained, demeaned, and alone, and God meant it. He ended up at Potiphar's house, and God meant it. He was accused falsely of Potiphar's wife, thrown into a prison for the better part of two years. And from the pit to the prison, God gave the dream, but he never revealed what lay between, what lie between the promise and the fulfillment. God meant it. In the beginning, the dream centered around Joseph. It was all about him. He was the main attraction. But by the time he came to the fulfillment, Joseph spoke of the salvation of much people. That is the value, ladies and gentlemen, of the process. It's maturity speaking of the kingdom cause. God meant it for the salvation of people. All that pain and suffering, all those days and nights of loneliness and, and abandonment and bewilderment, rehearsing his steps out in the field. He was blindsided by his brothers. Perhaps he could still remember the dampness of the first pit and the biting chains of the merchants wrapped around his ankles and his feet and his hands. Read his account. Scour through the years of empty living. There is no less than 22 years of displacement. Time lost because of the evil wrought against him without cause. All the good years that should have been spent with his father and his only full-blooded brother Benjamin now gone, wiped out. Time is a commodity that cannot be replaced. You can find Joseph struggling with a lustful woman in Potiphar's wife. 
of whom the Bible says, and I quote, spake to Joseph day by day, day by day, day by day, that he would hearken unto her, but he would not. To lie with her, but he would not. To be with her, but he would not. Every day. It was not a one-time approach, ladies and gentlemen. She was an unrelenting seductress. He was trying to balance the daily business, business of the estate while keeping his distance from the owner's wife. He did not succumb to her advances, though he did make the final mistake of being in the wrong place at the wrong time he probably let his guard down and out of rejection she accused him of something that he did not do and it landed him in a prison the dungeon the lightless living filled with odors and torment there you can read it in your bible read it all you can find so much of the struggle but what you what you will not find is joseph ever giving up on the dream he went through it but he did not give up hope he did not give away the dream that came from god and i cannot tell you of all of his life or all of his feelings we are only allowed this biblical narrative of truth and that in a sparsely portioned fashion but i refuse to assume something that was not written and there are no references of a bitter joseph or an angry joseph all I see is an enduring dreamer. I do not find an entangled young adult wallowing in misery or resentment. All I see is a young man working and making the most of every opportunity afforded to him. There are no... Are you hearing me now? There are no words of fury or rage or depression. His words were not filled with some peak retort. Joseph was living toward his dream. He was living because of his dream. He was looking at it with anticipation and nothing past or present was keeping him from it. And yes, there was endurance. The pages of his life in this book are filled with the endurance of Joseph. And I rise to preach to all of us. There is no way for us to get through it without endurance. Endurance was there because God is not a liar. And Joseph knew that God was not a liar. Make no mistake, there are some things that not even false brothers or carnal people can thwart as long as you keep the kingdom cause in mind. God will fulfill what he promised. I'm not there yet, but I'm, I'm getting there. Here's your word. You ought to open up your Bibles and you ought to highlight it. You ought to underline it and memorize it. Numbers 23 and 19. God is not a man that he should lie. Neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? While you're going through it, just know, God's not a man. He's not good like a man. He's not bad like a man. He's not a man. He's not bound by the cloudy motives or the moments of hesitations. He's not a man filled with all the good, all the good responses, and he would just do it when he wants to do it. No, God is not a man that he should lie. Whatever he said, he's going to do it. If he spoke it, he will make it good. Because he is God. And he's going to bring you through it. And you're going to get through it. The process, you might be in the process. But there is a conclusion on the other side. Yay. Proverbs 30 and 5. Do you have it? Every word of God is pure. He's a shield and then put their trust in him. That word pure comes from the Hebrew word seraph. And its meaning is this. The intent is that of a refiner's gold, purged or without impurity. It means without flaw, flawless, 
without any element of distortion. Every word of God is pure and there is no higher standard than God's word. God is not a man. He's better than the best. He's better than your best. He's better than the best person you've ever met. He's not a man. He's greater than the great. He's never ever given a word and not made good on the word. So when God gave Joseph the dream, the question was, the conclusion would be the same as the inception. The question was not whether or not God would come through. The question was whether Joseph could endure the test and reach the end. I hope you can hear it today. The dreams of Joseph were about the keeping of the called out people of God. They were divine, born in the dimension of the celestial realm. They were crafted by the omniscient, whose mere breath birthed the living soul. Joseph was on a plan, and the plan was God's plan. And the only one who could prevent the thing was Joseph. The mantle was going to fall. It was going to be worn. I am sure of it. God was going to have a people. And I suppose that if Joseph was not going to wear it, the Lord would pass it to another. But the issue is not with the dream or the fulfillment. The issue is with us. Can we keep the keeping of the truth as we go through the process? Can you stay saved in a world pandemic? Can you keep the faith when we have hit and miss service times? Well, the dream is true. The conclusion has already been settled. The question is, can you endure the test of time? I have it for you. This is, you could, you could have looked this up. The two main definition, definitions of endure. Here are the two main definitions. Number one, to suffer. <laughs> I'm enduring. But number two is to remain. So you choose how you want to endure. You can choose to suffer or you can choose to remain. I rise to say, I choose to remain faithful. I'm going to endure until the final. I feel like we got to have a little rally session. I feel like our spiritual bones have laid a little too long at home. And I think you ought to open up your mouth and you ought to cry out to God and say, I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. It doesn't matter what takes place. God meant it. Did you think for a moment that God lost control of the world? Does anybody here think that God lost control? Do you think that snuck up on him? No, it did not. We as a church have got to endure. We're going through a process. But at the end, there shall be light in the evening time. There's going to be strength in the morning time. Hey. You got to say it to yourself, I got to be saved. Come on, say that, I got to be saved. Say it to yourself, I've got to be saved. Now's not the time to be lost, now's the time to be saved. We got to be saved. Solomon gave a little insight. He said in Proverbs 28 18, Whoso walketh uprightly shall be saved. 
I like that. That's called daily living. It's lifestyle. You've got to have a lifestyle of being upright. And if you live upright, you will be saved. Peter preached this in Acts 2.21. He said, It shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's prophetic. That's talking about the last moment of time and the name that will never lose its power even though time will expire. You keep calling on the name of Jesus, you will be saved. Mark recorded the Great Commission in the last chapter of his self-titled book. He wrote the words of the Lord, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You got to believe and you got to be baptized and you shall be saved. That's salvation. Believe and be baptized. There's no debate unless we're going to nullify the Bible. It shall always be the gospel's way to salvation. And there are many others. But Jesus gave a word that I think is more relevant today than it's ever been. He said, there will be wars. There will be strife. Matthew 24, and then shall many be offended. They'll betray one another. They'll hate. Hate will rise in the end of time. Hate like you've never seen hate before. And many false prophets will rise up. And they'll deceive people. They'll lead them actually away from heaven. And because iniquity, that's sin. Because sin would become so large, so massive, so overwhelming. The love of many will wax cold. People will get cold. We're talking about the love of God. And people will get cold and indifferent. And here it is, the grand finale. Verse 13. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You're going to make it over, but you're going to have to keep your focus. And I'll give you five. I'll give you a handful. Number one, take root. Roots are the holding mechanisms of the body, unwavering, unmovable. And the second is like the first, become established in the church. That means settle on who you are where you are and what you believe become established. That means that you are not carried about with every wind of doctrine or trending Christian concept or worldly concept that often lead us away from biblical truth. Personally, I'm weary with chasing the next new thing. I want to reach back to the original thing. Is it too pragmatic for you? Number three, believe the word. His word is a lamp and a light. It alone has enough shine to illuminate your mind. But you can't believe it if you don't read it. All right, I'll get back to that. Number four, hold fast the sound doctrine. If you have no doctrine, you have no Bible. Because private faith is an oxymoron. When you hear people say they have private faith, what they're telling you is they have no faith at all. Because faith that is not fully exposed and exhibited in daily life and talked about is not faith at all. It's all, it's all, faith and doctrine is all public, it's exposed, it's founded, and it's worth sharing. Because if you believe in the name, you ought to be sharing the name. If you believe in the word, you've got to have sound a doctrine. And finally, number five, pursue the promise. 
the dream, the vision, heaven itself, it's worth your pursuit. Solomon once wrote that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong. And I would come back to say this, he that endures to the end shall be saved. Here's James, be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth, draweth nigh. Grudge not against one another. Brethren, lest ye be condemned, behold the judge standing before the door. Take, my brother, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. (laughs) There's no sorrow in enduring. You remain, you are remaining in the faith. You have heard of the patience of Job and have seen at the end of the Lord that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. And if I've ever heard the Spirit speaking through me, He is saying this today. If you are going to be saved, you're going to have to want it more than anything else in this life. If you're going to be saved, you're going to have to want it, chase after it, race after it, claw after it, grind after it. You're going to have to push everything aside. If you want to be saved, it's not. I remember entering a little race. It was a, we were kids and we were, we signed up for a race. And I remember running in the pain that was on my side. I never understood why when I ran, sometimes there was pain on my side. Runners, I looked it up and runners call it side stitches. There's ways to train to relieve them. But I found a quote from a man who runs a lot of cross country. He said, and I quote, he said, most runners who experience cramps or side stitches know that those things will subside in time. He said, the best thing you can do if you want to make it to the end is just run through it. It, that anticipatory object, trial, loss, loneliness, duress, run through it. Loneliness, run through it. Bewilderment, run through it. Sickness, run through it. get rid of it but you can run through it oh I wish I had somebody help me today I'm not giving God meant it and I'm going to endure and remain hey now is not the time to be double minded I'm almost through. There will be battles. There will be trouble. Are you ready? Easy is coming to a close. (laughs) Convenience is a door. And the hinges are squeaking shut. New normals are being established. And trust me when I tell you, they are not in favor of the name of Jesus or the Bible's message of holiness or godliness or worship or the church. The church is not a hotbed for disease. It's a place of rescue. I get it. We'll take our precautions. 
I made a mistake four times, four times today. I saw people and I put my hand out and they, they said, oh, I'm sorry. Don't shake hands. We'll get back to all that. We're coming back. We'll take our precautions. But I want you to, I want you to know what's happening today is designed by the enemy. But God meant it for the saving of many people. You ain't seen it yet, but much people are on their way because when they lose hope, there's going to be a place we've been enduring, we will remain. We're not giving up, we're not quitting, we're not turning around, we're not forsaking what we know. I like the story and I like the fantasy. I like to make believe. It's wonderful. It's, 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 it's a good thing. It's a fun thing. But, but there's a moment when you got to become a realist. Paul was a realist. Paul was a realist when he told young Timothy, be strong. He said, be a witness. He said, retell the gospel. Do the work. And one more thing he said, Second Timothy 2.3, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Paul was not offering something to Timothy that he found in a book. Are you hearing me now? Paul was not speaking from the shadow puddles of theory. Because Paul knew how to endure with joy. He said it. I was in trouble. In fact, in 2 Corinthians he said, Are they ministers? I am more. And labor is more abundant. Stripes? Above measure. In prisons? I've had more prison time than a lot of them. In the throes of death, yes. Endure. Hardness as a good soldier. Because of the Jews, five times I received 40 lashes, save one. 39. Three times I was beaten with a rod. Once I was stoned. He was left for dead. Three times I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day I've spent in the deep. And journeys often, Paul wrote. This is personal experience. This is from a realist in perils of water, perils of robbers, my own countrymen, by the heathen, in the city, in the wilderness, in the sea. If that was enough, among false brethren, people who said they loved me and they hated me, in weariness, painfulness, in watchings often. Think of this, in hunger and thirst and fastings often and cold and nakedness beside those things that are without that which come upon me daily I still was burdened for the care of all the churches it wasn't just physical I had mental anguish that the churches would survive so fight on young Timothy endure it there is a prize at the end that's why Paul said I press for the prize sometimes you got to understand you're going to press for the prize even to get to this house you might have to press through a few things but you're going to get here even getting through the time at home and you're still quarantined you press to have a Holy Ghost moment in your home you press to get to God you fight your way to get to God help me now I don't feel like this is the time to look down or be discouraged. We're taking a page from the playbook of Joseph. If we are in a pit, we will rise up out of that pit. Because we know that God meant it. He's going to work it out. If we're sold off and betrayed, we're going to rise up. Because we know God meant it. 
and all the promises of God are yea and amen. And if we find ourselves in precarious situations, we will rise up because God meant it and we're going through it. If our good intentions land us in the lower depths, we'll keep the promise of God lifted above our own mire and clay. I say today to hold all the body and the people that are listening, we must, we must make the most of every opportunity afforded to us. Wherever you are, you have to make the most of every worship time. And when you walk into the house, you ought to make the most of every worship moment you have. Instead of bemoaning the culture or the climate, the church must be reaching for those who are entangled by the very spirits that seek our harm. The trial is not as near as significant as the cause. And it might just be the vehicle to bring us to the fulfillment of the dream. There is a day coming, ladies and gentlemen, when the vision, the dream, the pronouncement is going to be made. But in between the dream and the fulfillment, we're going to have to rise up. Yes. So get up and look up. And wherever you find yourself, stand up. Be the church of God. If by chance there are challenges to even convene in this house of worship, we'll meet those challenges because we can and we must. We can and we must. A few weeks now, we, we closed the doors so we could recover. But that's just to recover. We'll keep on recovering if we have to recover, but we want to get to this house. Because the Holy Ghost is going to minister to us here. And the body has got to be together. We have got to worship the Lord. And we've got to come into this place as a corporate body. I know the Lord has taught us many things. I know he has. I know he's been teaching us how to worship outside the walls. But I also know that he's teaching us to remain faithful. Thank you, Lord. And I say today that I'm not going to endure with sorrow or pain. But I believe that our spirits are going to broadcast to all the people that our God is in control. We're moving in the right direction. And there's going to be a saving of many people. Why? Why, God? It wasn't just so we could all stay at home and get sick and all this. No, God meant it for his divine and his kingdom cause. God meant it. I'm going to just say this to you. You can, you can take it for whatever you want. There is going to be a powerful revival of hungry people. Not lethargic people. Hungry people. God's going to fill this house with hungry people because you're not going to come here if you're not hungry. In fact, you won't be saved if you're not desperate to be saved. In the last days, you're going to have to want it, be desperate for it. You're going to have to be hungry for it. And man, when you get a bunch of hungry people together, there's no telling what God's going to do with hungry people. on I want all the hungry people if you're at home I want you to stand up and raise your hand clap your hands if you're in the house I want you to call on God you're in charge 
You're in control, Lord. 